My mom's in the back. Wave your hand, mom. There you go. All right. I love my mom. She came up from Birmingham to hang out with us this weekend, so I'm grateful for that. Um, and all our other guests and visitors, well, visitor, or our guests uh, that are here this morning, I have co-workers here, Soraya, where you at? I don't want to call you out. There she go. Got co-worker presence, so good to see family in the house. Amen. It, it feels weird this morning. It's almost like we've done this, like today's the first time we're doing this. Don't it feel that way, y'all? Uh, but, you know, I guess because we're in this new space, but uh, I'm excited. I'm like, man, we've been doing this for like over a year. But it feels like uh, like putting on a new, a, a new pair of pants or something. And so I'm excited. So we're in Advent this morning. I won't, well, I ain't going to even say I won't be long, but uh, I have... <laughs> I have a scripture that I want to share with you. We are in the second Sunday of Advent, and as we've talked about before, Advent is a time, a season of expectation and anticipation and deep longing for the kingdom of God to erupt in our lives, for the coming of Christ. It is the celebration, the remembrance that Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago uh, through Mary. And so we're excited about that as a lead-up to Christmas. And so we're at Advent. And so for the next couple Sundays, we'll be talking about passages that traditionally have been preached and taught in the Christian church that relate to the season of Advent. And right now, in this very hour, there are literally millions upon millions of people all over the world, fellow followers of Jesus, that are reading this passage this morning. And that's something to think about. We are not alone. But we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, and they were connected globally with brothers and sisters all over this world, celebrating Jesus and remembering his legacy. Amen. Let me just get to the text this morning, and then we're going to uh, jump right into our, uh, our story. Uh, yes, there will be a Star Wars reference uh, in my sermon this morning, you know, Rogue One, December 16th. Who's game? Who's down? Who's coming with me? All right, we got a couple. All right, all right. So uh, let's go to uh, our passage this morning, Luke chapter 1. And I'll be reading uh, verses 26 through, am I in the way? 38. And there's a point in the passage that I want you to read with me. Okay, so kind of keep up with me if you can. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you are you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel, angel said to her, do not be afraid. Read verse 30 with me. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to the son who you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And read with me right here again. How will this be, 
Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the spirit power of the, Holy, of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And he who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And I'll read this last verse to you, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Amen. God's word for God's people. I remember uh, earlier this week, um, I was, uh, we were preparing the space. Uh, me and Dustin and Hannah were talking. And uh, they were sharing with me uh, Coulter, their son, their youngest child, their son, Coulter. Y'all know Coulter, right? And uh, Coulter, uh, they told me that Coulter had a fascination with trains, right? And he loves to play with trains. And it just began to open up memories of myself as a child. And I remember uh, just having these memories of those first memories that I can think of, uh, probably not first, but some of those earlier memories of being planted with the seed that I'm a part of something bigger, right? Now, this wasn't like something epic and huge, but it was for me. And it was at an early age, and I can't remember the exact age I was. My mom can recall this because she probably, probably remember picking all these toys up all over the place. Um, but I had this fascination with little green army men. Right. Y'all remember these? Right. <clears throat> and you step all over them, right? And, you know, I remember just playing with these in my room one day. And I, and I kind of remember this day. I remember playing in my room, my little green army man. And if it, those brothers and sisters who ever had little green army man, one of the difficulties was, was to distinguish between the good guys and the bad guys, right? Because they were like all green. So I would do what the little boy in the Toy Story did, right? I'd give him a little magnifying glass and. You know, I burned the heads of a couple of them uh, to mark the bad guys and the good guys. But I remember, though, one day sitting in my, in my bedroom, and I remember playing with my little, my little army guys. I had the good guys on this side of my room and the bad guys on this side of my room. And then I remember, and I thought to myself, wow, okay. Suppose I had the bad guys in another room. So I took them into another room. And then I was like, man, we can have a battle in my mom and dad's room. Then I was like, wow, I can, I can expand the battle. So I took them downstairs in the den. So in, in the house I was spent most of my childhood, it was a two-story house. And so I remember like, wow, so my universe is expanded from my room to my mom and daddy room to the living room downstairs to the den. And I remember like having like all these multiple theaters of war. And I found myself like, man, I'm in this epic battle against the there's forces of darkness, and I got my, 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 my military guys, my team, my army. We're fighting against the bad guys, and we're just in part of this epic battle against darkness. And so I remember thinking to myself, wow, and then there's outside. I can go outside, too. Take my little green army men outside. And so I remember going out into the woods, way off into the neighborhood, and have my little green army men all over the place, in the front yard, the backyard, in the den, in the living room, all over the place. And I just remember that memory, thinking to myself, that may be one of the few instances 
of the idea or the thought of being a part of something greater as a child. And then there was that fateful day that my mom took me to, I think maybe it had been my first movie, to see Star Wars. Right? It's my mom's fault. And I remember just as a child just being enthralled, just being captured by this powerful story created out of the mind of George Lucas. And just being, you know, captivated by R2-D2 and C-3PO and Chewbacca and Han Solo and Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and Yoda and all this. And I just remember being caught up like, wow, this is so big. This is so huge. And then just, in just looking back in retrospect, I remember think, thinking to myself like, man, this is one of those moments when seeds were planted that you can be a part of something greater. It just opened up my imagination to receive that idea. Although, you know, sometimes I wished, <laughs> even to this day, I wish I had the force. But I learned later that I would be called into a greater battle, a greater struggle, a greater epic journey and story that God had planted in my own heart through the gospel. Amen. And so I just remember, remember that. Do you remember something like that? Do you remember being having a memory where you felt like at some point you were introduced to something or you were invited to something or you realized that you were a part of something greater than yourself? It could have been that Little League football team. It could have been that dance troupe that you were a part of. It could have been an art, artist collective that you became a part of. It could have been a part of a nonprofit that you joined in with a mission to help your community or to advocate for your community. Something, something bigger than yourself was planted at some point. And so this morning, uh, I want to show a clip. Don't play it yet. I want to show you a clip of a similar story. It's kind of, it reminds me of Mary a little bit. But it's a part of a story of a, a young woman who has realized that her world has been very small and that she has been surprised with an invitation to participate in something way much bigger than she is. And so there was a startling realization that my life is more than what I thought it was. Amen. You play that. Lightsaber was Luke's and his father's before him, and now 
is gone to you? Perhaps you're right, Jessica. Harley won't be I see your eyes. You already know the truth. She never kept it locked away. Where'd she get that? A good question for another time. Take it. Find your friend. Amen. <laughs> You're like, what in the world was that? That was a scene in the most recent Star Wars movie, uh, The Force Awakening, and the young lady that you saw, her character is Rey. And in that story, in this epic battle, this epic story of Star Wars, she comes from a small planet called Jakku, and she has come to the realization through this vision in the series that she is actually much connected to something much bigger and much greater than who she thought she was. She just wanted to get back to her small planet where she was from. But the force is actually calling her to something much bigger and greater. So it is in our passage this morning with Mary, the mother of Jesus. If we can show some images here of Mary. A part of uh, the story of Mary, and, and I love this, the story of Mary because in the Gospels, Mary becomes an example or a prototype of what it means to be faithful to God. And more importantly, what it means or what it looks like to be a faithful response to the call of God, the invitation of God to joining Jesus with the kingdom of God. So I found some images from all over the world that captures uh, uh, Mary. There's Hopi, a Native American image. Uh, there's Hopi Christians who caught a beautiful image of Mary, right? There's images from, uh, from Africa, uh, from, uh, from Asia, different parts of Asia. And right here is from the Middle East. And so there's images, there's, 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 that during this time of Advent, during this Christmas season, people will lift up Mary as an example, uh, as a faithful response to the Holy Spirit's invitation to follow Jesus into the kingdom. And there's another image, too, that's curious uh, very intriguing. Y'all about to learn a new word today. One of the things at Mission House for our guests, we, every once in a while, we'll, we'll learn a new word uh, that's strange. And that word is theotokos. <laughs> like, okay, what's that, Pastor? It's a Greek word. Let me put the next slide up for that. Theotokos literally means the mother of God. One theologian Callisto Ware, Eastern uh, priest, Eastern Orthodox priest, said this as well. Theotokos means to what? To be a God-bearer. And this is what Mary is. And so a part of the Christian tradition for centuries was this idea that Jesus, I mean, that Mary was literally a bearer of God in her own being, in her own body. And we can go back to the text real quick. Let's just go through this real quick. And so we find ourselves from last week when Tony preached about uh, the uh, Elizabeth's encounter, uh, Zachariah's encounter with the angel Gabriel. 
uh, in the passage here in verse 26, the story continues. In the sixth month, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel. And it's no, it's no coincidence, I believe, that the angel that God sends to give the message to Mary is actually Gabriel. And the thing about Gabriel, Gabriel in the Jewish tradition represents God's strength and power. So when God wants to send strength to Israel, when God wants to send uh, somebody to take out the bad guys, to, to bring strength and power to a situation, he sends Gabriel. And he goes to, um, uh, uh, to uh, Nazareth in the town of Galilee where he meets Mary to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Theotokos. Mary as the God-bearer. And I love this passage here later on uh, when, when uh, the angel declares to Mary that, she, that he greets her. He says, you are highly favored in verse 28. The Lord is with you in verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Now, you got to understand that now I'm about to tell you now, we're about to shift a little bit here. Um, this is not a Thomas Kincaid version of who Mary is. This is not a Norman Rockwell version of who Mary is. This is not a quaint, cute, little wholesome story of, of Mary. Mary is a Palestinian Jew living in an occupied country by military Roman forces. So her community is on lockdown. And she is a virgin who has been betrothed as a virgin to a young man named Joseph. And seeing that culture betrothal, <laughs> and unlike today, right, you know, today, you know, your daughter or your son may come to you and say, hey, I'm going to get married. And you'd be like, well, why are you getting married? Because I love him or I love her. But, you know, in some instances, you know, like today, you know, we have a few instances where the, the children will say, hey, parents, what do you think about that? Right? But see, in the culture of Mary and Joseph's day, they had no choice. Mary had no choice. As a young woman, as a, as a young girl, she was betrothed. Her family already probably promised her to another family. And that was a, that was a reason why I want to get too in-depth why in the ancient world, even to this day, why that's the case. So she had very little choice in the situation. So here is a young woman who lives in an occupied country that's controlled by a foreign power, That who is a woman, a young woman, who has very little ability to choose her own fate and destiny because men run the world and they make choices beside her, for her. And this angel shows up and says, you are highly favored. And they're like, God, a young woman who seemingly had no agency, a young woman who seemingly had no choice in her life's direction, God shows up and says, you're highly favored. <laughs> it gets better. So you can imagine why she was greatly troubled. I'm just supposed to stay in my place. You know, one of the things I did in my research for this sermon was I began to look at different cultures, even to this day, 
uh, where young women are promised to other families. And for, you know, it is like you, you, don't get the, you don't get the household conversation here in the text, right? Could you imagine what the conversation would have been uh, with Mary, with her mom and her dad? So let me get this right. I have no choice. I don't get to decide. Now, in that culture, she probably willingly accepted that fact because it's a part of the culture. That's all she knew. But I want you to get this powerful instance, though, what happens when God shows up. God says, in the midst of all that, in the midst of your lack of agency, in the midst of your inability to choose your partner in life and to choose the trajectory of your life, God says to Mary, you are highly favored. And so Mary is troubled. How can I be highly favored? And the angel says in verse 30, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of God. And so she goes on and she says, okay, that's great and all, but uh, how is this going to happen? How am I going to give birth to the son of God, the great one? And she would have understood this as the Messiah, the long-expected king that would come and deliver Israel from the oppressor. How is that going to happen? In our Western mind, we think that he's simply referencing the fact that she is a virgin. It's actually much deeper than that. How can I, me, lowly Mary, I am nowhere near the temple. I am nowhere near royalty and kings and powers. I am from the hood. I am from the places that people forget about. I'm the place from the spaces that people marginalize. I'm from the places that when people consider policy, they don't even think about me. I am from East Spencer. I am from outside the county. I am from the barrio, the favela. I am from nowhere. And I'm favoring? How can this happen? Y'all thought this is just about the fact that she was a virgin. Mary was lowly in the realest sense. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mm. Hmm. A young woman who has very little agency and choice in this divine moment, and I'm telling you this right now, this is a part of the story. I don't have five points to get your blessing today. I don't have 57 steps to become more faithful or some kind of strange doctrine to teach you today. But what I do, I want to bring you into the story, and I want you to realize that Mary's most freest choice, most freest moment is the opportunity to surrender to the will of God. As a young woman who is limited by her choices in the outside world, as a young woman who is betrothed and promised in an occupied country, in an occupied land where Roman soldiers go to and fro and perform senses and all kind of manner of control and order in her community, here she is in this moment having the freest moment of her life, the moment to choose to say yes to God. In this Christmas season, as Americans, we deceive that we really have free choice in this consumer season. 
when our culture in very powerful and psychological and spiritual ways manipulate our own consumer choices, we think we have, the, we have the, actually the illusion of choice. But I want to tell you that in this Christmas season that while you think you fruit, uh, freely chose that venti Starbucks coffee or that Xbox or whatever it is that you got that the advertisers got into your head, The freest choice that you will make in this season is to surrender to God. It's to say yes to God. And the thing I love about this part of the story is when she asked, well, how is this going to happen, God? How are you going to work this out? And I love the text. The text is not giving us a scientific explanation of how God uh, conceived of Jesus in the womb of Mary. But the Spirit simply says, the Spirit would overshadow you. There's another instance in Scripture when it talks about the Holy Spirit overshadowing. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, the Bible says, in the beginning, was the, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. And the Spirit hovered over the deep. The other word there is overshadow. So there's something significant that happens in Scripture when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit overshadowing things. You always got to pay attention to that. So if you ever wake up one day having a vision hmm, that the Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, I'm about to overshadow you, If you don't want to be a part of something that's greater than yourself, then run. Because once the Holy Spirit overshadows things, things new things come into existence. in, In the book of Genesis, when the Holy Spirit overshadows, the creation comes into existence in, in beauty, in order, in harmony, in peace. And shalom. And so when God overshadows Mary, something new bursts forth into the world that changes the course of human history. Something greater. When the Spirit overshadows you, something greater is being birthed on the inside of you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and Mary gives us as an example that what it means to be a human being when the Holy Spirit comes upon you or overshadows you, uh, what happens is when the Holy Spirit overshadows you, something greater, something bigger than what you think you are. And one of the things I learned, there's a quote that I love, is from uh, the former Archbishop of Canterbury. He says, I am more then I realize in the eyes of God when the Holy Spirit overshadows you, understand that something is being conceived inside of you that's greater than you realize. Mm-mm-mm. May we be like Mary. When God overshadows us, uh, we begin to realize that what matters, what's important is, 
isn't the size of the obstacle, isn't the bigness of the circumstance. What, but what truly matters is that the Holy Spirit is overshadowing us. It is not the overshadowing of what is going on around us. It is really about what I'm carrying on the inside of me. Although your circumstance or your situation like Mary, the fact that she's betrothed, the fact that she lives in an occupied country, it does not negate the fact that something bigger, something greater is happening on the inside of her. Something bigger, something greater happens when the Spirit overshadows us. It is the size of the God that overshadows us, not the size of our circumstance nor the size of our own understanding of ourselves. And that's one of the most beautiful things about this thing. So when the Spirit overshadows us, this is greater, this is much bigger than even how we understand our own selves, our own personal stories, or our own self-limiting doubts about ourselves, our own self-knowledge about ourselves, that this can't possibly, how can this be in my life? How can this be? How can this be? And what can we learn from Mary in this? What can we learn from Mary in this? Mary becomes, like in many of the Gospels, uh, and it's interesting how... uh, uh, the revolutionary aspect of Jesus' ministry was a way that women were a part of the movement. And in the, many of the Gospels, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, women are seen as faithful examples of following the Gospel. While the men just seem to kind of bumble about, you know, we just, we betray Jesus. We tell Jesus he can't be the Messiah. You know, we don't understand. We just bumming around, tripping over ourselves and, right, trying to grab for power and Herod, Pilate, and the Pharisees. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. This, this text comes out of the first century. I mean, it's like, wow, this is revolutionary stuff. You know, we don't realize how revolutionary it was today. But in that day, to have a woman who was betrothed, without her consent, in a place where women are considered property. And today, women still are, in many ways, considered property. Women today are still trying to get equal pay, right? But in that world, it was much much more atrocious. God uses her as a faithful example. And what what can we learn from Mary in this season of Advent? as we are, are, are longing and, and, and preparing ourselves and cultivating this sense of expectation and anticipation for God to do something, for God to reveal. And one of the things I have to tell you, what I sense from the text is, it doesn't go into great detail, but I sense from Mary a radical openness to God. Open to the possibility of God. The impossibility, possibility of God. There's something about when you open up and you have a posture of waiting, when you have a posture of anticipation and expectation before God, you'll be amazed what God can do. 
So Mary offers this, I believe, to us 2,000 years later to become this example of bearing God in our bodies, in our souls, in our minds, in our hearts. May we be like Mary in this season by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we be like Mary, surrendering to the newness that God is giving birth through us. May we be able to surrender to the new season that God is trying to birth through us. Maybe we, may we be uh, obedient to the word of the Lord. And like we've talked about before, in many occasions in this church, like obedience, for instance. Obedience in scripture does not simply mean I'm following the rules. But what we've learned is that the word, the English word obedience comes from the English word audio. It literally means to hear. So in scripture, to obey literally means to hear the word of the Lord. How do we know when your life looks like what God says is when you heard God? So when you don't obey God, that means you ain't heard God. Because when you hear God, you become like that which you've heard. Your life becomes a reflection of what you heard from God. And Mary teaches us this. Mary's radically open. She hears, she hears from God. And here's the thing. I'll leave you with this. I told you it won't going to be long today. I'm excited for uh, our next speaker next week. They get to get into Mary's song. I won't spoil it. Is it, okay if I can't, is it okay if I read the song? It's okay? All right, okay. Um, the thing I love about the move of God is that when Mary hears the word of the Lord and Mary's response is the uh, appropriate response when an angel is standing before you in the name of the Lord. And she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. May it be so in my life. May my life reflect what you said. May there's something greater that, you're, that you've given me, that you're giving me. In my small world in, 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 in Nazareth, in, in Galilee, in my small world, let the word, this big word that you've given me, you've promised me great things, angel, Gabriel. You have told me that in my life that I will give birth to one of the greatest or the greatest leader that ever lived, the greatest king that ever lived, the hope of the world. You're telling me my little old betrothed self who lives in the hood, that I have been promised to give birth and conceive of the greatest, the biggest thing that's ever happened. May it be so. This sounds beautiful, doesn't it? But I struggle with this. I struggle with this. Didn't God understand that he was putting this woman in danger? Didn't the Lord understand that having a woman pregnant before she's fully married, that he was putting her in danger of death? That he was putting her in danger of ostracism and shaming? 
to be isolated from her community, to become the brunt of jokes and insults. I was like, God, this ain't safe. And as a part of me was like, God, this ain't right. She already had no choice as it is. But you interrupt her life with something beautiful and it's great, but simultaneously it is dangerous. This seems not to be fair. I hear God say, that's why I sent Gabriel. <laughs> she know who Gabriel is or was or is. Gabriel's the one I sent to decimate armies. She knows I got her back. She knew I had her back. I've sent Gabriel. I've sent her strength. But here's the thing, American Christians. The God we follow is not safe. I have no safe Christianity to offer you today. I have no Christianity to offer you, to give you, to help fulfill your wildest dreams. But what I have to offer you today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God incarnate because of his love came into a broken world to redeem creation and humanity from a sin-death path. God don't even play it safe. When he became a human being, they assassinated him. They crucified him. I'm not, I don't want to scare you today. But I just got to let you know what this Jesus thing is all about. It ain't all about the Jabez prayer. It ain't all about naming and claiming it. It's the realization that the creator, the God of this universe has implanted something great in the inside of you. And even in your circumstance right now, even in your feeling of unsafety, your, your lack of security that you're feeling within yourself, God has got you because God has planted something powerful on the inside of you, something greater, something more beautiful, something big that's in the inside of you. And it may not be safe to walk out this thing. It may require you to step across the aisle and talk with people that you hate. It may cause you to forgive people that have sinned against you. It may cause you to become a better father and husband or mother or daughter or son or community member. The gospel may call you into danger. And the woman, and that's what Mary is so she is the theatricals. She is the God-bearer to let us know, to teach us a lesson as a young woman who with very limited choices and very limited rights, if she can obey God, guess who else can? We can. We can. So in this Advent season, as we cultivate, as you reread these texts in your own personal devotional time, 
Ask God to open you up. Ask God to open you up to receive greater, to receive bigger. Even don't even look at your circumstance. Don't even look at what's going on inside of you. Don't even look at, don't even consider primarily your own personal story. Like, how could this be in my life? But I want you to first and foremost look at the promise of God in your own heart. We are called to be God bearers in this season. This is an awesome responsibility. We get to bear the presence of God in the world. This is awesome stuff. It's crazy that God would entrust us with his presence. That blows my mind. That God would gift us and grace us with the presence of his Holy Spirit to demonstrate his love and power and mercy and justice in this world. That's why we need each other. Hold each other accountable. This is why this kind of faith can't be for long rangers. You need each other to egg each other on to and support each other and to hold each other accountable in this journey as God bearers. For what you learn in the gospel is that we're all called to be theaticals. We're all called to be God bearers in this community, in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.